to Interdisciplinary, the healthcare podcast from HealWell. Uh, I am once again Rebecca Sturgeon sitting in for Cal Cates, and this is the podcast where massage therapy educators, practitioners, and positive deviants, Kathy Ryan and Cal Cates, and sometimes me, will use research, science, experience, and humor to explore the broad landscape of healthcare through a truly interdisciplinary lens. We will have honest, uncomfortable conversations about topics like access, racism, death, ageism, ableism, and equity that address the intersection of being a human being and providing quality care so that we can expand our impact, confidently navigate new challenges, and together create lasting, sustainable changes in healthcare. You'll always learn something. You'll always laugh. You better laugh. And you'll come away better informed and with real things you can do in your own community and practice to create a more compassionate and collaborative system of care for all humans. So once again, I'm joined here by Kathy Ryan. Hi, Kathy. Hey, Rebecca. (laughs) So excited to be back on the pod with our favorite producer. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yeah, usually I'm behind the scenes, you know, just um, shouting at the screen while you're recording. So this is (laughs) great. Um, so before we, we introduce this episode in the tradition started by Cal Cates and to be continued by Cal Cates of having a little giggle, I have a little something for you. Oh, and this is about capturing animals and it's always capture and release, right? Because I'm vegan. We don't eat the animals at my house, <laughs> but you may want to know, how do you catch a unique rabbit? No idea. You sneak up on it. (laughs) Awesome. I got that one right away. There was no no delay in my... No delay in that one. I I did not have to think about that one. I got it right away. I'm very proud of myself. That's awesome. I would like to thank my dad circa 1981 for that joke. So, yeah. So, Kathy, we have a special episode today where we have gathered some conversations from the field from people who have received their first or both doses of the COVID vaccine. And Uh, I'm really excited about this, Rebecca, because we've had a number of people commenting on, you know, there's so much information out there. And, you know, there is a certain amount of fear around the vaccine because we're seeing stories about, oh, you know, so many elderly people died after the vaccine, but don't really know if it was exactly the vaccine. And and so re- really glad to have some folks uh, step up and be willing to talk about what their experience has been like. Yeah, yeah. I, had, I hadn't, um, wasn't familiar with the stories about, you know, elderly folks who had died proximal to the vaccine. But we do have, you know, a couple of genuine older adults who are very much alive, <laughs> featured today, as well as some of our colleagues um, and a little bit of their experiences and what their decision process was. Awesome. So, great. I think well, that's great. And I think that's something that uh, a lot of folks are going to be really interested in hearing if they've not had the vaccine yet. Maybe not necessarily a factor into the decision-making process, and maybe it will, but just to have a sense of what to expect. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. So I hope you all enjoy it. Have a listen. And afterwards, if you're feeling like it, send us a message and um, we'll be glad to hear from you. I'm Cynthia Wold and I live in Valparaiso, Indiana with my two sons. I hopefully am going to get one soon if it's I have a complicated medical condition. So I need to make sure it's okay. But I think I'll be getting my first one in a few weeks and I'm very excited about that. Okay, a few years ago, in the beginning of 2018, I got diagnosed with an extremely rare and extremely aggressive lymphoma called peripheral T-cell lymphoma at Northwestern Hospital. It's such a rare cancer, there aren't many treatment options for it, and it's chemo-resistant. It's extremely aggressive. I went through chemo, and it looked like it was working. Part of the solution to this cancer is you have to have a stem cell transplant once you're in remission. And that takes out your entire bone marrow, blood, immune system, and replaces it with the donor because this cancer always comes back and you have to be able to have different immunity to fight that. So I went through a clinical trial drug, which put me in remission. 
So the best option for me was to use my little brother's stem cells, Chuck, and they were a half match. I have a very rare medical name. I'm a medical chimera, which is like uh, the ancient Greek animal composed of different types of animals. And they call me that because I actually have two different kinds of DNA. I have my 60-year-old original DNA in most of my body. And then all of my blood, all of my immune system has now become my little brother's DNA. There's something called graft versus host disease, which I've had several times. Right now, I'm in the thick of it quite a bit. Not only do I have a poor immune system, I really have almost no immunity right now. So I'm a little bit of a girl in the bubble right now. I can't really go anywhere at all. The only place I leave for is to go to the doctor in Chicago. I know everybody else is isolating too and sanitizing and wearing a mask, but that's been my lifestyle now for going on three years. Every time my white blood cells were low because my little baby immune system was growing or if something was happening, I would frequently have to be home all by myself and sanitize everything and wear a mask. So it's kind of weird to have the world join me (laughs) in that now. If I caught COVID, well, first of all, I'd probably just, I wouldn't catch it in a little way. I'd die. And Also, if I did was able to get into a hospital, you know, I've kind of faced this for a year now since COVID came out. If there was shortages of equipment or beds and difficult decisions had to be made about who would be treated, I would not be picked because of my health history. So I know I'm not a priority which is disturbing, but I've spent a lot of the last few years kind of looking at death. So it's significant for me that people get their COVID shots and wear masks and continue to do the social distancing to make just a less contagious world for me. But I'm also super concerned about everybody else too, because I don't think people realize their vulnerability right now. I think they feel like they won't catch it, or if they catch it, it won't be bad. Well, there's plenty of people I know. I There's someone I know that just died uh, a few weeks ago that was healthy in her 40s, and in a few days she was dead. I think people have the impression They look on these charts and see ventilators available and things like that and beds available in ICU. And they feel like, well, if I get sick, I'll go to the hospital. They'll take care of me. And they feel like there's a safety net underneath them. But the reality is our medical infrastructure is in chaos. You cannot count on that. They're over overwhelmed and you're walking on air right now. Uh, It's not easy to get something passed through the FDA. I've had to have my treatments passed through the FDA because they were experimental and thank God they worked. You know, that's why I'm alive. So of any vaccine I can imagine taking, I have no worries whatsoever. I really didn't anyways, because I was familiar with the clinical trial process and I trust in science. You know, we all want to feel safe. We all want to get back to our lives. I know it's scary. You know, like I said, I've been through this quite a long time now. I know how much we all have to give up. I know how much you just like don't even want to think about it. It's exhausting after a while. You just want to kind of turn a blind eye and say, well, what's going to happen? It's going to happen. And I'm just going to go with it. But but one of the things that concerns me is the individualistic attitudes. Mm -hmm. And I grew up in an era where social service towards others in your community was significant and expected. 
and it wasn't just all about you and you help other people that need it. And I feel like getting a vaccine, even if you feel like you don't need it, it's the responsible thing to do for your community and those around you. The only way we can function and things will be there that you need and want is if we build that community attitude up again that's been so badly destroyed. My name is Lee Harper Chen, and I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm an ICU nurse at a large level one trauma center teaching hospital. So I take care of the sickest of the sick COVID patients. Yes, I was so fortunate, and I got mine both doses about a month ago. I got the Pfizer one, and I was just so delighted. It was a feeling of joy and optimism in this dark time to receive that vaccine. So interestingly enough, I did catch COVID over the summer, and I was pretty sick for three whole weeks. I didn't have to be hospitalized, but I was very sick. I had fevers, chills, body aches, chest pain. My skin turned blue. It was very, very uncomfortable and unsettling. So because my body already recognized those spike proteins that the vaccine is teaching your body to fight against, I had a pretty strong reaction to the first and second dose of the shot. The first dose, I got a very sore arm to where I could barely lift it. But worse than that, I got chills and body aches and fever, and I slept for about two days. And then it passed. Life went back to normal, and it was much better than getting the coronavirus again. And I sort of then knew what to expect for the next dose. I said, all right, I'm going to hunker down. I'm going to take my Tylenol or Advil. Some people say don't take them because they can dampen your immune response. But in my opinion and experience, my body was giving me a really enthusiastic immune response. And it was so uncomfortable that I went ahead and took that so I could sleep and get the rest that I needed. So yeah, so my motto regarding the discomfort from the vaccine is it's better for three days than for three weeks with the actual disease. My relationship to my work or my feelings about my work, it just doubled down my commitment to my work because it made me feel a whole lot safer. I knew I had the antibodies that my own body had produced. Even five months later, I still had them, but there's sort of no guarantee. And um, I just felt like, you know, this is a new commitment to eradicating this virus. There's hope on the horizon. The more people who can get it, the better off we'll be. And I wanted to lead by example. So I definitely... um, jumped in that line and and went and got my vaccine. And I was able to have sort of some discussions with um, some coworkers who were maybe a little vaccine hesitant and um, just answered a couple of their questions. One was African-American, and she had some very legitimate concerns about the history of medicine in America treating Black people very, very poorly, like experiments. And so I just let her know that, yeah, there was a huge clinical trial with over 30,000 people and um, it was proven to be safe and effective. So she would not be a guinea pig. She would be following in the footsteps of people who signed informed consent and were wonderful pioneers so that the rest of us can get it safely. And I think that sort of helped her, you know, reconsider getting the vaccine. And so that's one more person who can stay safe and keep others safe as well. In particular, I do some informal peer educating and outreach um, on the platform of Facebook. And I've seen people be hesitant for a number of reasons. For example, they think it rolled out too fast, so they think it's not trustworthy. They think it contains aborted fetuses. And so they have an ethical objection to that, which it does not. It was grown in some fetal cell lines or tested that way, but it's quite different. There's a big difference to like, you know, grinding up uh, dead babies and using them in a vaccine. So that's not at all what was done. People are worried about long-term effects on the body from the vaccine. And I think the easy answer to that is the long-term effects on the body of COVID are way worse. This is an mRNA vaccine, so it doesn't change your DNA. It goes in like a little messenger and it gives your body 
um, almost like a pep talk. And it says, hey, look at this. This is what you need to fight against. If you see this, go bananas. And then it leaves. It delivers this message and then exits. So now your body is the one that's fighting against it. Nothing stays in your body or nothing fundamentally changes. It's just coaching your immune system on how exactly to fight and what to fight against. It doesn't contain any coronavirus in it. None. Not dead, not attenuated, not live. Although you feel symptoms afterwards, most people do. Some people sail through it with a sore arm, like a like maybe a flu shot. And hey, great, good for them. But some people do have a more strong immune response to it, which is kind of good news. It means your immune system's kicking into high gear, getting ready to fight. But you are not contagious. You do not. Someone has asked me, "Oh, does my loved one have to isolate? She just got the COVID vaccine and she's feeling very unwell." I said, no, no, that's fine. Just help her take care of herself and she'll be right in a day or two. But you, there's no risk to family members or close contacts at all from, from the vaccine. So that's super cool. We're talking 95% effective after two doses for both the Moderna and the Pfizer. Yeah. And any flu shot on any given year is maybe 30 to 40% effective. So this is just a home run for as vaccines are concerned. Wow. Okay. That really puts it into perspective. So now you've gotten both doses of the vaccine. Does that mean that you can like run around without a mask and lift people? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the good old days when I was lifting people. (laughs) I will return to some sense of normalcy soon. Um, Not yet, unfortunately. The scientific word is still out on whether vaccinated people, although they won't get sick themselves or aren't very likely to, could still harbor the virus in the nose. And although it's not making their body sick, they could maybe go breathe it on someone else. But it's very tempting to think, oh, I'm vaccinated, I'm safe. But, you know, we just don't know yet. We anticipate hearing that it will be just fine. But we just want to get some better data on that. I tell you, some nurses at my place were all like, we're vaccinated. Let's go crazy. Let's go out and party together. (laughs) And we're trying to just wait it out. I mean, it's so tempting, but just a little while longer. I don't know if anything is zero risk these days, but it's certainly more encouraging. It's certainly safer. Yeah. And hopefully once we find out that you can't spread, then heck yeah, hug. I mean, even maybe a little lick, who knows? <laughs> if you have that kind of relationship, I mean. <laughs> and we should all have at least one friend like that. What we're aiming for with the vaccine is getting enough people vaccinated that we'll get what's called herd immunity. And that means that once there's no more good host for the virus to really sink its teeth into, it will just die out. Mm-hmm. And then it may rear its head, you know, maybe a couple times a year in a couple limited outbreaks. But we hope that, you know, we won't see anything on the large scale like we do now. It might just become sort of an endemic disease in the background, like, I don't know, the flu or, you know, kids get these different viruses when they're kids, like roseola or um, fifth disease. You know, it might just become one of these sort of illnesses of childhood or, or something that we manage. And and who knows, we may have better treatments by then too, actual treatments that actually work to help the body fight the disease. We're pretty low on those right now. We can really only do supportive care, even in the ICU. We can't cure it. We can help your body fight it off, but we can't fix you. So yeah, so once we get enough people vaccinated and we get herd immunity, the goal is to just make all of our bodies very inhospitable to that virus and it will give up on us. Kathy lives in Louisville, Kentucky, and received the COVID vaccine when it became available to Group 1B. What was your eligibility to get the vaccine? Well, that requires an admission of age. (laughs) Oh, oh, how how rude of me. I'm so sorry. Uh, It's quite all right. I've never thought that I would be pleased to be 70 years old, but... (laughs) Frank and I both turned 70 last fall, so we are in that group, although Mm -hmm. Frank is also in that same category of 1B as an educator. Mm -hmm. The schools are doing their shots alphabetically by school name, 
we signed up through Norton MyChart and the availability at the West Broadway Norton Healthcare facility was pretty wide open when we clicked on the magic little button and we fortunately got our appointment very soon after we logged on and were able to go to this facility in this beautiful, beautiful new YMCA building on West Broadway. And it's a great facility and we were directed to each of us to separate nurses sitting at separate tables with their laptop computers and they checked each of us in and I immediately pulled my EpiPens out of my purse mm -hmm. and said, you need to know. And she said, we have EpiPens, but that's good that you have yours. Yeah. So did you need them? I did not. Um, yeah. But because of my history and my many, many allergies, they had one recliner in this very large room. Mm -hmm. And most people got their shots right there at the table with their nurse, but they asked me to walk over to the recliner, mm -hmm. pulled it away from the wall, put the footrest up, leaned me back a little bit and gave me the shot there and no reaction at all. Thank goodness. I was really a little hesitant because of my allergic history. Yeah. We have very good friends who live in Seattle. One is a scientist, the other is a pharmacist. And I've been talking to Patty and Terry for several months about how do you think this is going? I'll roll up my sleeve when you roll up your sleeves because you know what the procedure is. Patty used to write the, the documentation for drugs to present to the FDA for the approval process. Oh, wow. So she, she has a great depth of knowledge. And so she was reading everything as it came out. So she felt very confident and said that I needed to talk to my primary care physician, of course, and I did that. And she said she thought that everything was fine and I should go ahead and do it. So I did. I have thought a lot about why we're in the condition that we're in, in this world and particularly in this country. Yeah. And it's, due to a lack of everyone doing their part to make it better, whether it's everyone wearing a mask, everyone observing social distancing, everyone avoiding large crowds. I've done those things. I've been inside a store maybe four times since March. The closest I've been to another human being was when I got my flu shot. Yeah. And then I had some routine lab work done. So I actually went into my doctor's office, rolled up my sleeve and ran out. I've really tried to avoid for my own safety any encounters with other people that were not absolutely necessary. But each of us has a role to play and getting the vaccine is part of that job. But if you want to hear what this 70 year old woman who had cancer surgery a few years ago and has a variety of other medical issues has to say about it, I honestly believe that it's as safe as it can possibly be and it may not be the cure-all that we might have hoped for if we had had 10 years to develop it, 
but we don't have 10 years. We have now. And now is when we can take this next step if it's right for you as an individual. And I hope that the majority of us can feel that it's right. My name is Sarah B. McLaughlin, and I am located in Evanston, Illinois, outside Chicago. (laughs) I think that how it worked out was the city of Evanston first started vaccinating hospital workers. And then in like, it was the same round, but once they were finished with that, they opened it up to all healthcare practitioners who are not associated with the hospital. And so I got an email from Steve Rogney, who owns uh, the schools in Shiatsu up here in Evanston. I teach for them. And he said that technically their school is considered a secondary healthcare facility. And therefore, the city was saying that anyone who works for them staff wise could come get vaccinated. So that's it's very roundabout, but that's how I understand it. I'm not sure. The city of Evanston has been really communicative so far, but I'm still not entirely clear on like how they're doing things. But I think the mayor is actually having a, a Zoom meeting today to discuss like how those decisions are getting made. For me, I was actually on the fence when the vaccine news first came out. And I think a lot of that was misinformation on my part, was not fully understanding the amount of research that went into it. I was not in the Bill Gates is going to inject us with robots camp. I wasn't in that camp, (laughs) although it would be really cool. I was in the I'm worried that this came out super fast camp and hesitant because of that. And so I started reading up and my friend Karen sent me an article from, I think, the New York Times that talked about all the research they had done previously with uh, SARS. And once SARS kind of ceased to be a global threat at a certain point, they were like, oh, okay, cool. We're just going to put that on the back burner. So that helped me make my decision for sure, understanding that there was already a lot of research that was done in a, a, a disease that was somehow related to the current COVID-19. And that ultimately helped me make my decision because that was really my only, you know, I, I, I've already had vaccines. You know, I travel to Thailand once every three or four years or so. And when you go to Thailand, you know, you don't have to get vaccines, but I get like yellow fever and like anything I, you know, I can get. So my caution around it was more not understanding the amount uh, and length of research that had gone into it. Yeah. So I've only had the first dose. I am supposed to get the second dose next week sometime. They haven't let me know an exact day, but they're very good with their emails. So I'm sure I'll get it like 48 hours in advance when I'm supposed to come in. It was very efficient. And, you know, Evanston is a small enough city. I don't know what the population is, somewhere around 80,000 that they can afford to be very, you know, clean cut and systemic where the city of Chicago, I think is having a harder time, although I'm not sure but they have a lot larger population to deal with. So it was good. They converted Levy Senior Senior Center, which is like typically during non-pandemic times, like a community gathering place for seniors. So it was basically like a giant gym that they converted into, you know, one station was, you know, you signed up ahead of time, you had your time slot, you showed up, you got in one line. They asked you a few questions to make sure that it was appropriate for you to receive a vaccine at that time and explain to you what was going to happen and that you had to wait 15 minutes to make sure that you weren't having any bad reactions and 30 minutes if you had had a previous allergic reaction to a vaccine in the past. And then the second station, they checked your professional license and credentialing. So my proof that I worked for Zen Shiatsu and that I was in fact eligible to receive the vaccination at that time. And then the third was to get vaccinated. And we're, I don't know how many stations there were, probably like 12 to 13, 14 stations. The most difficult part for me was the fact that it was like <laughs> the second day that they were giving these vaccines and nurses, right, are in high demand. So they had EMTs and firefighters giving the vaccine. And they were lovely and they were fine. But I will say they were much more skilled probably at giving an emergency shot than they were giving a vaccine. So I was like, sweet baby Jane, like that's that's my arm. But it still wasn't that. I mean, it still was fine. It was just like 
that was the roughest part of the whole thing for me. So I went and I sat down and I had a little bandaid on and I was like, okay. And then it was like seven 30 in the morning. And then by 4 PM I was tired. I was, I would say fatigued. So I had finished a full day of work. I went and got a roasted chicken from whole foods. I walked a mile and a half home, did not turn into a Ninja turtle on the way. And then I went to sleep and I probably slept for a good 10, 12 hours. So I was tired. And then the next day, you know, maybe a little tired again, but nothing crazy. And so far, nothing else. And yeah, that's where I'm at. If you have like a legit reason, like you have anaphylaxis to like the flu vaccine or whatever, I fully support that trepidation. (laughs) Or if you have some sort of cultural or other reason why you know, you have not a large amount of trust in medicine or the government, you know, of course I honor the fact that like, there's that hesitation there, honor your hesitation. Even if your hesitation is, oh my God, it's Bill Gates putting robots in my body, honor that hesitation, right? Acknowledge it, but do your research too, and decide if it's right for you. I think that if you've received any vaccines in the past, honestly, this wasn't any different than any other vaccine. So if you've already received vaccines in your life, I would be very confident in going ahead and getting it myself. Honor your hesitation, but also do your research to make a decision. I think it's great. I hope more people actually decide to to take it because I know that that's becoming a problem. Yeah. Well, and final question, Sarah McLaughlin, can you prove that you have not turned into a robot? No. <laughs> <laughs> No, I cannot. Unfortunately, AI is too good right now. (laughs) Rip back up. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. I'm Nancy Cohen, and I live in Chicago, Illinois. Well, um, my partner and I both received our first doses on Inauguration Day. So January 20th, it is emblazoned (laughs) in our memory. We had it done at Rush University Medical Center, and they told us that that we couldn't have the first one unless we were going to schedule the second one. Non-negotiable was their term. And before we left, each of us left the booth where we were having our shots, they had it scheduled. Um, We know that in Chicago, we're supposed to open up to what is called Group 1B, people 65 and older, as of January 25th, and obviously we got it early. We had been checking all sorts of sites to see, you know, how we could get on a waiting list. And then out of the clear blue sky, I got both an email and a text from Rush telling me to go to my patient portal, which is called MyChart. And once I was there, there was a message that I could reserve a time for my shot. And it was as simple as that. But how we were chosen, we have, neither of us has been able to figure that out. And I've asked, nobody seems to know the answer. But I think the best answer from one of the nurses was, we had the extra vaccines and decided to open up early. And so they do not have an open registry. What they're doing is contacting patients. It was a very smooth process, which is very reassuring. And we got information on the vaccine and I had my shot and the nurse was extremely skilled. So I didn't even feel it, didn't even bleed. And that was it. I had absolutely no effects from it. Usually, like when I get a flu shot or any other vaccine, I have muscular swelling and a a sort of a hot feeling as the antibodies start to develop or something. But this didn't happen. I had no pain, just the, the tiniest sensation around the spot. But we're not talking pain here. We're just talking. I knew someone had you know, stuck me with something. Mm -hmm. And by the third day, that was completely gone. However, I have heard from others who had the same good luck that when they had their second shot, it was a different story. So you may have to ask me again after February 11th. (laughs) But because I have some severe food allergies, I just 
let some concerns build up. And this was all before I got the appointment. Once I got the appointment, I was totally excited about it. But I really, I really was concerned because it heard about people just having allergic reactions and I didn't want to be one of them. No. But there's also this thing in young people of, I won't get sick. It won't hurt me as much. Let's see. Me, I'm invincible. <laughs> you know, and, and also I think some people just don't understand transmission or contagion. So they don't understand the necessity of wearing a mask. So my cousins and I, when when we have seen each other, and it's only been actually two of them that I've seen in the last year, but we have worn masks around. Yeah, absolutely. And all my friends too. Nobody really comes into our house. We just sealed off from the rest of the world. Yeah. You know, but but in terms of talking to people, I try to raise questions for them to answer, yeah. but also try to figure out what it is they don't know. So very recently on a Facebook conversation, someone said, I don't want to put that virus inside of me or I'm not going to put that virus inside of me. It was that kind of emphatic. And all of us came back and said, oh, you know what? There's no live virus in it. We're not going to start explaining DNA and things like that because person doesn't have either the mindset or the interest or the background to parse that and, and figure out what it means to them. But what I have told some people is I've asked them if they got a polio shot because I'm older and I was in that first wave of kids that had the polio vaccine. Yeah. In fact, I had every polio vaccine that ever came out. It was no, we figured, you know, of the of the people who were young in the in like around 1957 when they started giving it out, there's no way we're getting polio. We had every version, every delivery system of that because they just lined us up and gave it to us. And that's because the fear was so great because nobody wanted anything to happen to their children. And I, and I, I think in some ways it may have been maybe the way it was handled, the way parents were addressed because it was a disease that hit mostly children mm -hmm. and children died or children ended up in iron lungs or and I went to school with any number of kids who had had polio. Yeah. Yeah. So I just remind them that sometimes you have to be part of the experiment. But, you know, earlier you asked me about um, my concerns about getting it myself. And I actually did research at that point. Good. So I read, you know, I went to the Pfizer site and I read what was in the vaccine and I read some of the history of it and then I looked to see if there are any potential allergens you know anything that would align with my allergies and the answer to that was no and the minute I realized that and I kind of figured that was going to be the case anyway once I realized that I go ah you know that sigh of relief that maybe I was just being a little bit too worried about things my name is Sakina Irizarry, and I'm located in Saugerties, New York, northern mid-Hudson Valley. I was fortunate enough to have put my name on a list with the state. There was some calling around and waiting for a call back. I got a call from a health facility that said they had vaccines and they had appointments for the next two weeks. And I got myself signed up and spread the word to my colleagues. It was a bit of research on our own. As soon as um, massage therapists knew that the vaccine was in the state and being given to the first priority, which in New York state was healthcare workers, patient facing healthcare workers and nursing home employees was the, I think they had out tier 1A. That's when I started looking and checking checking the state sites. Didn't get any outside guidance until 
I started to see some anecdotal evidence of way up north in New York State, some massage therapists who were working in hospitals were able to obtain vaccine. At that point, I started checking the state site on a daily basis. And the key was patient facing. And in New York State, since we're licensed as healthcare professionals, those two factors made all the difference. It didn't matter what kind of practice at that point when they rolled into phase 1B. It didn't matter because as long as you had a license and you were patient facing, they were willing to provide vaccine. I was really fortunate when I got a call from a health facility. It was one that was only about 10 miles away. And again, from anecdotal evidence of, you know, people's posts online and things, I made sure that I had nothing else to do for the rest of the day. Some folks had experienced headaches or achiness or a general feeling of rundown. So I cleared my day, went over for my appointment. All COVID procedures were in place, enter in one part of the building, exit out of another. They were very prompt about it, checked my credentials, took down all of my records, gave me the vaccine, had me wait 15 minutes. And because they are giving that time to make sure that there's no allergic reaction, if there is to be, I was told like an anaphylactic reaction, it would happen quickly. No reaction. I went on my way. I was very relieved. I thought I had maybe a low-grade headache, but I'm also, I have a new pair of glasses that I'm supposed to be using, and I thought it could also be attributed to that. I had almost no reaction, a little soreness in the spot where I received the vaccine, but less than when I've received the tetanus shot and more than I when I received the flu shot. I do a flu shot. I ensure my children get a flu shot just because I'm in contact with the public. Also, because uh, about a third of my client base are teachers in schools and which were prior to COVID known as germ factories anyway. So I thought it would be prudent. Yeah. Can I ask you a race question? Yes. Okay. So Sakina, you're a black woman. And there's a lot of chatter, and I don't know how much of this is mythology and how much is true, that um, communities of color are reluctant to get the vaccine and it's going to be a problem. And so I wonder from your perspective, how much of that is myth, how much of that is truth, how much of that is truth based on previous experience with the medical system? Well... I think that communities of color have a, a healthy skepticism of the American healthcare system. They have been on the receiving end of a lot of disparity, underrepresentation when it comes to testing, and a, a, and a whole long, ugly history of withholding one type of medical care while experimenting with another kind of care, you know, if you could even call it care, which, you know. So my perspective is that the healthcare industry has a tremendous amount of work to do rather than focus on the skepticism, which is well-earned that communities of color have towards the healthcare industry. My thought process is the healthcare industry has a tremendous amount of work to do to earn the trust of communities of color to provide vaccine. They should make it easy. They should make it safe. They should bring it to those communities. And I'm pretty disheartened because I read in the news that there are regions and areas that know of the disparate impact uh, COVID-19 is having on communities of color, Black communities, Native American communities. And when regions have tried to make efforts towards rectifying that by making it very accessible, making vaccine very accessible in those communities, they have found themselves facing lawsuits or their states threatening to slash allocation of the vaccine 
if they place access in those communities. While at the same time, when those when access vaccine access is placed in white wealthy communities, it is very accessible and no one has had any problem with it. But as soon as the focus was turned, I just last night was reading a story about this happening in Texas. Dallas County was trying to prioritize vaccinating the communities that were most impacted. And it's really disheartening that you find that the system accepts the disparities and resists reducing them. Mm. And so I am fortunate. I'm lucky to just be in the area I am in to be a person who has advocated for myself and my community, you know, uh, whether that is my parent community, my massage therapy community, you know, communities of color, you know, that I'm out there going and grabbing this information and grabbing the opportunity. I did have some hesitancy initially thinking there are folks out there who need this a lot more than I do. A private practice massage therapist who has the option even to close down for my own and my family's safety. I don't know a lot of people who can do that of any background. So I did have some hesitancy at first thinking maybe I should let others get in line first, but I also thought this opportunity is here and I'm glad that I took the opportunity because in the following week, our state had to shut down access because the federal government fell short in its supply to the state of New York. Right now, um, access hasn't changed. They had just announced, I guess the week that I got the vaccine, they had also begun to roll out to school teachers and essential workers. <laughs> and at that point was when the supply began to dry up and they requested more of the federal government the state had already announced at that point that they were rolling out the vaccine to those 65 and up when the threshold before that with the group that I was in was like the 75 and up. And at that point, I think they got an announcement at the end of the week that new vaccines weren't coming. So the 65 and up group is waiting. The general public is waiting. A lot of essential workers who didn't know, didn't have access, didn't have time to drop everything and sign up for an appointment are unable right now to get the first dose because what is left, they are prioritizing second dose mm. for, you know? So again, I'll be lucky. A widespread rollout would be a dream for me, you know? And again, I've been, I know I use lucky a lot, but I'm extremely grateful for the position that I'm in as a black woman in, you know, in New York, who owns her own business, who's none of my family members have to go out of the home. I'm really fortunate. It would be a dream for me to see, you know, some return to what we called normal life with also the hope that some of the knowledge that we've taken, some of the ideas and information that we've had the time to be exposed to, to educate ourselves on could be taken out into the world to improve things because normal wasn't great for, for a lot of communities before. So as much as it would be great for me, it would put my heart at ease to see the impact that's happening for so many, you know, to, to so many people, to so many families, to so many communities, to see that alleviated somewhat. I have, I've had conversations with some folks who are reluctant and you know folks who said they they wanted to wait they wanted to wait and see and honestly i'm usually not a runner out and get you know the um you know the the new i i even hesitated this year i have a child who was eligible for a particular vaccine at, at his age and I said, oh, you know, I'm just going to wait one more year on that. <laughs> so I, I'm not usually one to jump on a, a bandwagon, but I think that the atmosphere and the information that's out there available about 
COVID specifically is plentiful. It's been very informative. I've done my utmost to listen to authorities. I've done my utmost to listen to, I hang out a lot on Twitter and I follow probably about 20 to 25 black female doctors about following their opinions on how the research, how the testing, how the access, you know, all of the those issues around the vaccine have gone. And so I felt reassured enough and I feel assured enough to speak to my friends, my family, my peers that this is safe. Hopefully I can't know <laughs> effective. It will be more effective if more of us receive the vaccine. You know, I'm not evangelizing, but I'm trying to be a, a, yeah, but I did make it known. I did make it public, you know, to friends and family and associates and community groups that I belong to when I received the vaccine. Thank you for listening to Interdisciplinary, the healthcare podcast from HealWell. Cal Cates and Kathy Ryan will be back with you next week. In the meantime, feel free to give us all the likes and shares and reviews on social media. And you can email us at info at with any questions or feedback. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey, I'm Cal. Hey, and I'm Kathy. We're the co-hosts of the Heal Well Healthcare Podcast Interdisciplinary, and we're here to uh, invite you to become patrons of our podcast. We're going to team up with the platform called Patreon to invite you even to become an even more active member of this community. So we've got a couple of levels, uh, depending on your interest and uh, and passion about this particular topic and how much you love me and Kathy, perhaps. Uh, so. Uh, the first level, you can become an official patron. It's $5 a month, and it allows you to have early access to episodes and, of course, to know that you are part of making sure this podcast keeps happening. Kathy, tell them what else they could win. Oh, well, level two is called All Access Patron, which gives you early access to our episodes and access to bonus episodes Boom. for $10 a month. And then we've got the VIP patron. So you get all those other things, early access, bonus episodes, and then a monthly, what they call AMAs, which are Ask Me Anything, which means that you get uh, unfettered one-on-one-ish access uh, to me and or or both, uh, Kathy, uh, to ask us anything. Uh, something that came up on the podcast, something that you're uh, trying to blow up in your own community and how we can help you, whatever it might be. So uh, become a patron and help us get the word out and build our community and Thanks already for the love that you're bringing to interdisciplinary and heal well and making the world a better place. We love the love and we love you right back.